Welcome back to another episode of Real Conversations About Aging Parents. This is your host, Rebecca Tapia. Today, I have a throwback episode for you. We haven't done one of these before, but I am replaying a large portion of the interview I did with Krisha Palmer. So Krisha Palmer is somebody very, very important to me. She is a very early advocate and mentor when I decided to start exploring things outside of clinical medicine. So writing, thought leadership, content development, interior design, all those things. So I heard about her through a different podcast and realized that she is still, as as far as I know, the only instance of a physician leaving clinical medicine to pursue interior design. She's already a rock star. I'm so thankful that that she's been part of my journey as well. But as part of all of this, she started her own podcast a year before I did and asked me to be on one of the early episodes. So this would have aired, I think, April of last year. And anyway, I was I ran across it and looking over some old emails and I thought, you know what? That was an interesting interview and I'd like to replay it because I can't possibly say all those same things just talking out loud. It would be boring. So the the content of the interview is mostly around multi-generational design, my thoughts about it, my tips about it, how I got interested in it. Anyways, so just a little bit on Krisha. I will link to her podcast and her website in, in the show notes. She is an interior designer that runs courses teaching people how to design their own homes for their best self. She focuses on physicians, but I know there's a lot of non-physicians that listen to our podcast and buy her materials. And anyway, so she is a total rock star, total inspiration, was a big part of inspiring me to step out and do something as different as what I'm doing now. So anyway, thank you, Krisha, for, for being part of this. Just also for context, when I recorded this, I did not realize I would be having my own podcast in the future. And I don't personally think that the interview, at least the way I showed up, was ideal. So I think I've grown a lot since this first interview. But I do remember when I recorded it thinking, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I did my own podcast? And of course, at that moment, I thought, well, I could do my own design podcast on multi-generational design. And then when I sat down to write out the episodes, I ran out like after number seven or eight. And so I ended up not doing that podcast. But very quickly after that, developed the idea to have the one that you're listening to right now, which was to have a more broad discussion about aging parents, not just in the context of design, although that's near and dear to to my heart, but the larger issues that play into that. So, And that's, that's what you know the podcast to be. So the conversations, the difficult topics, everything. So anyway... Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being a listener. I hope you enjoy. We're talking about multi-generational design, but Rebecca, you had mentioned to me before that you don't like that term. So tell me about that. So the more formal definitions are basically you living with an adult child over the age of, say, 20 or 25 or with a generation ahead of you. So they exclude you living with your own kids. That's considered sort of our standard which is ironic because culturally that's an American thing. Um, There are plenty of places in the world that would look at us funny calling it multi-generational design to them. It's just living at home with parents because uh, housing is expensive and scarce in multiple areas of the the world and becoming more scarce here in the United States. And so I know we think of this as an anomaly and it's not, it's actually been growing rapidly, especially during COVID multi-generational percentages went up Primarily, ironically, not because of aging parents, but because of adult children having financial difficulties or just deciding it would be better to move back in. 
Uh, so that's what it's supposed to mean. I haven't found a, a sexier term as far as I'm concerned for what that is. The, the way I like to conceptualize it, because I'm I'm not geared towards prepping your home for a 25-year-old, and I don't want my 25-year-old coming back if I can help it. That could be on its own podcast, like how to repel your grown child from coming back and living in your basement. <laughs> right, that's its own podcast, yeah. So, but so I really, really focus on more on talking in terms of showing up for people you love. Um, and whether that's, you know, fixing your mindset, observing some boundaries, getting some new tools or, or renovating your space, which we're focusing off, obviously on the, the space renovation. Um, that to me is what multi-generational design is, but to, it, you know, it's a merging of lives, literally. I love that perspective, thinking about multi-generational design as showing up for those that I love in lots of different areas, but specifically what we're talking about today is showing up for them in the realm of their environment, their home, quality of life that comes from being in a place that's nurturing to to them and supports them. I'm really interested, uh, and you and I have talked before, but I want our listeners to know you know, you're a practicing physician and you became interested in interior design and specifically multi-generational design. So can you tell us kind of how that interest came to be? Sure, absolutely. So it was not something growing up, uh, you know, any kind of interior design or decorating was not something that entered my mind. But um, back in 2015, my husband and I had the opportunity to custom design the home we were going to live in. And I got very excited about it. And the more I thought about it, the more possibilities came to be. Um, and simultaneous to that, uh, my grandmother, who I'm very close to, she taught me how to read and write and swim and all the things. I was having difficulty in her her living situation with my aunt. I remember visiting with her one afternoon. I was very busy. I had a lot of, you know, I had my kids and I wasn't super present uh, in that conversation. But what what caught me was she, you know, we're just talking about her. She's very humble. She would never complain about anything. And I remember asking her, you know, hey, I just, you know, went in the bathroom and the bathroom is really narrow. Like, how in the world do you get in and out of this bathroom? It was a old 1970s style home that she was in with my aunt. And she said, oh, I, I don't take a shower. I take sponge baths. And if you were for a PM&R doctor, to have somebody that they love and care about say they take sponge baths, I felt like the the worst PMR doctor. I couldn't imagine. I, I don't know how that never entered my mind. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, oh my gosh, this is just completely unacceptable for her. I mean, she's the matriarch of her family. She's got, you know, I I mean, she's just a, a wonderful human being. And I thought, you know, I've got to figure something out. And that was around the same time we were designing this home. And so I w- talked to my husband and said, you know, I think we're going to design an efficiency apartment for her. And here's what I want to do. And I just totally nerded out on this. I don't know if that's the right word, but I just got incredibly involved because it sort of combined my love for her, my interest in physical medicine and function and independence, preserving her life, extending her life, quality of life. And I went to her and I said, hey, do you want to come live with us? And I thought it'd be a long conversation. And lots of questions. And she said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Like, so that's exactly what happened. And she just said, sure. Yeah, let's try it. And I, and I remember thinking, okay, well, I was super nervous. I lost sleep about it. You know, to her, it was a very, very, you know, easy conversation. So in that design phase, I worked with the architect and the designers um, and, you know, really built what I thought was best for her, best for our family. And I thought about it from, in terms of preserving our relationships too. Um, there's privacy issues of multi-generational living. 
there's just logistical issues. Um, and I, I tried to come at it from multiple angles and not only in also including her health and function. Um, at that time, she wasn't using a walker or a cane or anything. Um, and when we were done, I, I was in love with it. She's still, uh, we're still living together. She's still here. I just was out in my kitchen listening to her talk to other family members that have come to visit her. And that just makes my heart warm um, that there's a space that she can function in um, and that she can be her best self uh, as most independent as possible. Um, so we've been doing this now for seven years. Uh, people from all over our family, we have a huge family, have come and said that she was different after she got this new space and that she was um, more cognitive present, that she her function improved. I mean, it was really remarkable. I had people that I'd not talked to in years that reached out and said, I can't believe the difference. And what changed was her environment. What changed was her space. What changed was she had a space that cared about her. She had a space that worked for her. And it's phenomenal just how much space has impact on quality of life uh, and functioning. So that's how we got there. Um, I did tell her she's got a large window next to her hospital bed. She she uses the hospital bed. And um, I said, I read a study. Uh, her name's Nana. So I said, Nana, I read this study and you know, you, you get to add seven years to your life if you can see greenery from your bed. And we just hit seven years. And she actually remembered this and she was like, okay, what are we going to do now? Because, you know, you're, you, you said the design extended my life seven years or we're at seven years. So um, what, what's going to happen? So she's turning 90 this November. Um, and it's just been honestly one of the the best things I've ever done in my life. And and that that brought me to wanting to share it. So that's why we're here today. Yeah. No, I love that. What a beautiful, beautiful story. I think most of my listeners, you've got young kids, kids that are maybe teenagers are going to college and our our parents are getting older. And certainly many of us still have our grandparents here. And multi-generational design, like we've used that term, but It's not something that people really think about, you know, what's going to happen when parents get older. And then if you choose to do like you did and design a space where they can come in. But I wanted to ask you about your your experience and your expertise in PM&R, physical medicine and rehabilitation. And I'm clarifying that because I know most of my listeners are women physicians but a lot of them are not, and a lot of the listeners are not. So they may not be familiar with that medicine specialty. So can you tell us a little bit about your specialty and how that plays into your interest in multi-generational design? Yeah, that's a good question. And um, I've had people ask me before, they say, oh, I've never heard of PM&R. And I say, that's a good thing because nothing good happens to you that you come see somebody like me. I promise you that. Um, but I hope you know about it because it's important, but not from an experience standpoint. But uh, so rehabilitation professionals and physicians in particular mostly work in the space of, uh, at least on the inpatient setting, taking care of patients that have had strokes, brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, things that that impair function, mobility, and obviously change how they live within their home. But when you're in the inpatient setting, you're professionally taking people that have had this new event or this new d- issue and trying to get them into the home. And But you're sitting here right at the interface of the spaces are not working for them. The family can't get the space done in time. The family drama and the family stress is intense at that time. There's, they're dealing with grief. They're dealing with, you know, they never thought this would happen. Oftentimes the patient can advocate for themselves. It's a very human experience to be in rehab medicine. And so part of me believing so much in design 
is the power that it has to promote function, the power that it has to keep people in their homes. Uh, the vast majority of people, if you talk to them, you know, if you were disabled or going to ha- have to live somewhere, the the last thing they're going to say is, "I want to live in, you know, a nursing home or something like that." Not that those aren't extremely right. important and um, and yeah. you know needed for lots of people, but usually it's nursing home aversion that we deal with as rehab professionals. Nobody wants to put dad in a nursing home, or they promise dad, which is tough, right? They promised dad that he'd never go to a nursing home, and um, but when it happens, and we see this all the time you know, the translation of that's actually very difficult. So so being a rehab professional makes us think a lot about the home environment and then also just helps give us the the vantage point of their current and future function. So we can talk about people with say like a dense left hemiparesis, what the prognosis is for that, what, you know, what they're going to need the space to do and perform for them as they go home. So being a physical medicine physician was essential to me thinking about this, to me designing this. Um, I've gone forward and designed other, you know, projects for other people with these same principles. So I, I think that it's it's really nice to have that clinical background for this. Oh, absolutely. And you're right there, like at the stage where people realize they probably haven't thought about it before, because most of us don't like thinking about it. And then your patients are right there, and their families are right there at that point where it is definitely an issue. So I think it's really interesting that you come from that perspective. And then when you built your your custom home and had your experience with your grandmother, you realized like, wow, like this is a need. I also just want to point out to our listeners that we're discussing design in a very different sense than we usually talk about it. You know, when most people think about design and decorating, they think about color and countertops. And more of the aesthetic part of it. And that is a part of it because, you know, beauty and being surrounded by beauty does affect our quality of life. But honestly, I think even more important are the true design elements rather than the decorating elements, which are who's using the space? How well can they navigate the space? How well is the space built for those individuals who may have different needs? Those things are so important and something that I think that most people when they think about design and decorating aren't considering. So there may be somebody listening who has a parent that is ill and needs some extra support. They're just kind of not sure what to do. And they're thinking that their parent might need to move in with them, but they're not sure just logistically how it would work. Oftentimes, I think when we encounter situations like this, we kind of avoid it. And we put it off and we just don't want to talk about it. It's like, well, if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. But what advice would you have for anybody that's listening that's in this situation? That's a great question. The first thing I would say is the fact that you brought awareness to this, that you're thinking about this, that's that's far and above where most people are and recognizing that this might be a need for you. I'll also put a caveat that I I never want to be a source of more things for people to worry about or to to spend any of my airtime saying you should be doing this or you shouldn't be doing this or you're not prepared. The truth is you'll figure it out just like everybody else does for the thousands and thousands of patients we've seen. So yeah. this is not about, you know, are you going to show up for your parents? Of course you are because you love them, right? Mm-hmm. Or Or whomever it is. And so this is not going to be a long list of things you should drop what you're doing and do. But um, the, the thing I would say is more important, or I guess even before you get to the space is the mindset and the, the stories in your head about what this means and how you have to show up for them and just becoming aware really of what, 
what obligations you feel, why, what cultural pressures do you have, really questioning what your role might be to participate with your parent and, and also becoming aware of that. But when we get more specifically down into, all right, the nitty gritty. So, so what's going to happen if somebody, uh, my, my parent has a, a disability or going through an illness? And I would say, think about it in two buckets. There's mm-hmm. a short term issue, which is like a hip replacement, a knee replacement. Um, and then there's long term issues. So dense strokes, you know, severe traumatic brain injuries, profound debility, like we've seen a lot after COVID. Uh, and those are two very different design questions. So uh, you could look around your house right now and think to yourself, you know, if somebody had to come stay here for two weeks, is it possible? And you'd evaluate things like, well, how easy is it to get into my home? How many steps are there to enter? Uh, is there a spare bedroom, you know, that would work temporarily? And honestly, the vast majority of homes are going to be just fine for a temporary stay. So right. um, there are things like bedside commodes that people could use. They don't have to have a massive bathroom modification. Um, and so just giving some framework as to how to approach this, that that's that's the short-term thing. If you're thinking, okay, my my loved one has a progressive neurological condition, which is one of the hardest things you ever look at, right? So especially if it's a progressive, progressive functional decline or a cognitive decline, such as Alzheimer's, that is definitely a more long-term thought. And I would say it takes a lot more decision-making with you and your family, looking at the financial impact and so forth. But from a from a design standpoint, that's going to have to be uh, almost customized to whatever the functional impairment would be of the loved one. So for cognitive impairments, you're thinking all about safety and ease of use. So for somebody with, say, um, an, a, an advancing dementia, you're not going to want to have an external door that they have access to in the case they're confused and they walk out. Right. You might want to make sure that there's, if you need to, need to have a camera during the day, that you have that set up and that things are intuitive to them, color-coded, easy for them to do, and very familiar. So they tend to do much better in environments that are familiar to them. So you would, if they were moving from their bedroom and their home to your home, you would want to bring a lot of items from their previous bedroom intentionally right. to recreate an environment that felt comfortable to them. Um, so that's from, so that's a cognitive decline. If you look at a, a pure functional decline, but but the cog, you know the cognitive capacities relatively stay intact. Um, that's when you can get more advanced into almost like you would think ADA. Um, right. Now ADA is not meant for home use. ADA was actually developed for commercial, commercial and public use. use. Yeah. So I, I don't recommend going and reading ADA guidelines by any means. But in general, uh, again, looking at doorways, you know, a lot of people say you have to have a 36 inch doorway. Yeah, but you know, and oftentimes 32 inches works just fine. Um, right. And most of the the things that you read are are meant for people on wheelchairs, and mm-hmm. the minority of people end up using a wheelchair at some point. So uh, the the highest likelihood for for someone is that they continue ambulating or walking with a cane or a walker. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would think along those lines. So so I go back to just getting in and out of the home, in and out of the bedroom and the bathroom, um, and all the things that go with that. So I, I know there's a lot more to it, but I just wanted to put that out there to start off with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that we're doing this podcast because when that time comes, it's just having that awareness that there are modifications you can do to your home. There are ways to, you know, design things. And while really diving into the specifics of what those are is beyond the scope of this episode, just the awareness that that they exist and that it is possible to have a well-designed, well-thought-out home that serves the needs of everyone that lives there. Again, not wanting you to feel, not wanting anybody to feel like they 
have to go home and figure this out. What I want to emphasize is there are certain decisions you're already making in life to where these considerations would be relevant. So I'll give you some examples. So I have friends that are doing large renovations of their kitchen or their bathroom, or they're already basically going into the the renovation stress, which is awesome that you have this podcast because there's so much stress around this. If you're already going to go into a renovation stress, these are the times you think, well, I already have all these, you know, the workers that are here and I've already budgeted this. That's when you want to be thinking, well, I might want to make this bathroom more accessible for my mom in the future. That additional cost is different than, you know, I'm going to do that independent of everything else. Oftentimes you have some scale with renovation projects that are already there and they can continue doing that. The second thing is we do have, I see a lot of professionals do custom home builds. And those where I think are the highest opportunity to think about this. Um, and, and because that's, you know, you're not renovating that, you're actually building uh-huh. it that way from the beginning. And there's some very basic things you can do at that stage of the build that set you up should you ever need to be converted, not even just for your parents, but either for yourself or or anything else going on. So an example of that would be what's called blocking, which is mm-hmm. where you put extra reinforcement around the commode for future grab bars. You don't have to put grab bars in, but grab bars need grab bars cannot be installed in the shoebox. Right. They have to be installed into something a little bit more structurally sound. Right. <laughs> and so you'd want to ahead of time think, okay, if there's ever going to be, you know, a drop-down shower chair in the shower, and it costs them next to nothing to do it at that stage of the build. and But having it go back and say, okay, can we add this? That, that's really difficult. And the third thing, which is really interesting to me, is there's a lot of physicians that they're trending towards investing in real estate. And there's untold number of podcasts about this and courses and everything, okay? But the thing is, if you're already investing <laughs> in real estate, I would have that in the back of my mind that maybe I'm looking for a single-story garden home you know, in my neighborhood if I if it was one place or the other, that's not a horrible idea to have that on you know have that on standby. So if you're going to invest and you don't really care where it right. is or what it looks like, then I'd be thinking along those lines of it would be nice uh-huh. if I had that available. Maybe maybe living together isn't for you or it's not best for your relationship or or whatever. And and I'm totally open to that. I right. mean, that that's, yeah. I think that should be thought about. But there, I just think of these points in life where, from my perspective, it's like that would be a great time to think about this just for five minutes because and then mm-hmm. and then put it back close the door again on it but but those are the times that i think you know these topics should be you know kind of front of front of mind oh absolutely and that actually hits close to home for me my husband and i want to build a home once our boys go off to college and you know i've already started thinking about i want to be able to live on one level and the top level be for the kids and their kids, the grandkids, when they come home, but I don't want to have to go up there. I can pay somebody to go up there and clean it or do whatever, but I, I want to be on the, the first floor. So even like your suggestion about reinforcement for grab bars and that sort of thing, thinking ahead for our own aging, but then even, you know, with my parents is so important. So I like that idea that, you know, there are things that we can think about now while we're renovating or while we're building. Um, So do you think if you have a loved one, a parent or a grandparent who is not able to live alone and they're going to move in with you, do you think it's easier to renovate or to build custom or buy a new home? That's that's another great question. Um, (laughs) So the timelines on those are very different, right? So I think of a renovation project probably being, if you're really lucky, I know that the labor market's really tight right now, but maybe three months if you're optimistic and then a custom build. Really optimistic. Yeah. And then a full custom home build. 
Um, it used to be lower several years ago. It was, you know, easier to come by materials. And that was maybe a six to nine month process. It's trending more towards nine to 12 months for a, a full custom build. So part of it's the timeline. And we kind of already talked about things that require short-term stay versus a long-term stay. Um, but part of it's also your budget. Uh, and, and renovation projects are expensive. So you can think of it two ways. So you could renovate proof your renovation proof your house by custom designing it to begin with to be sort of pluripotent is what I like to call it it could be anything right uh, universal right um <laughs> or you know you can end up doing a renovation so I always say the investment in a custom home is preventing renovation later because the ADA level renovations for bathrooms can get extremely expensive especially if you're moving plumbing yeah, once you start moving plumbing, that that becomes really expensive. So, so I was again not not to add stress to it. The other thing is recognizing what you could probably accommodate in your home that you don't even feel like you could right now. There are temporary ramps that can be placed in the front. That's not a permanent change, you know. And widening a doorway in the bathroom is not exceedingly expensive. So, a lot of it has to do with with the you know impairment of the individual you're trying to care for, uh, what your budget is, what the what the existing floor plan might be length of stay at your home, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I wish I could give you a straight answer, but there's just a lot of, of different caveats to that. Yeah. But you've given us a lot of different things to think about in terms of like what to look like if you're in that situation and you've got to make that decision, you know, what are the things to consider? I really feel like design preserves relationships or can destroy them at the same time. Interesting. Yeah. So tell me more about that. The, the thoughtfulness of the design comes down to, um, I'll give you an example. So um, something that I was, I'm, I'm an introvert as well. I know you mentioned that at the beginning. And I am not somebody who kind of likes to have people randomly show up at our front door. And then I just sort of sit down and have tea or coffee. And so I was very intentional about building for her a second, basically a second front door um, and a separate entrance to her apartment in a separate parking space. So literally, like while we're talking, my my aunt is here and one of my cousins um, and they're in there having lunch and, and talking and they don't come through our house, which maybe isn't ready to receive guests. I know there's, you know, a mess in the kitchen that needs to be cleaned up. And so I'm not always constantly worrying that I'm imperiling her social life, which is extremely critical for your mental and emotional well-being, especially at that age when, you know, you're, you're not able to, to drive anywhere anymore. So that was a, a, a big deal for us to put that second front door. And that has been a miracle the front door allows her to accept grocery deliveries, prescription deliveries to her door. Um, they don't come through our front door. And that just gives her a sense of independence, of autonomy. And so that's been great for her quality of life. And honestly, it's better for us too. We like our privacy. Um, and I feel like if we had to compromise our privacy and just the, the flow of people through our home, that would have been hard for us. Yeah, absolutely. And as a fellow introvert, I totally understand that. And that allows you to have your boundaries as an introvert, what you know you're comfortable with and not having people walk through the house, you know, all the time. And it's amazing that that modification in, you know, the physical environment in the home, you know, it that's a way of preserving your relationship. It's good. It's good for her. And it's also good for you. So I love that way of thinking of it. So what are just a couple of practical things? And we've touched on this, but are there any other practical things that our listeners can think about or just start thinking about today? Yeah. So one, now I've been lucky enough to to do a lot of projects as well and help with editing the designs for people um, that have come to me and, and asked for that kind of help. And I will tell you what I've learned 
is there's a, a big misconception that you want to design to take care of them in a way that maybe they don't need. And I'll explain that. So I was doing a project last year and I'm very big on putting washer and dryer hookups in these apartments or mother-in-law suites, whatever you want to call them. Um, and they said, no, 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 we don't need to put, you know, the washer and dryer hookups in there because we're going to do all of her laundry for her. Um, and as a rehab professional, you're like, oh, time out, stop, stop, stop. And so um, we want to focus on on task preservation and the design can do this for us. So the more that we're doing for them that they're physically and or cognitively able to do at that stage in life, they can lose it very quickly. And so we start doing laundry, then the motor planning that it takes to do laundry, the cognitive planning that it takes for her to do laundry. Um, you know, she has to time things out. She has to make sure she has the supplies to do laundry. It sounds cruel, right? Oh, you make your grandmother do laundry. It's one of the best things that she's doing on a daily basis to keep her as vibrant as she is. Not that there can't come a day where she needs assistance, which of course we'll, we'll do that. But designing out the possibility from the beginning is is not where you want to be with that. And so I think the mindset when I was working on this project last last year was that's how we want to show up for her. We just want to do everything possible to make it comfortable. And I think what we forget because we're really busy professionals and we want people to take workload off of our plates all the time and we want to hire people to do things is at that stage when you're not working and like for my grandmother, she's widowed. Uh, there's not a lot going on every day. She watches a lot of game shows. Having some things to do that she has pride that she's still doing for herself, and she's a bootstrapping, you know, retired peanut farmer. Um, that's the last thing that she's going to want is somebody to walk in there and start doing her laundry for her. So I think, and the same thing goes for like dishes and cooking. And so, um, like we have an induction range instead of an open flame. Uh, she's got some vision problems, and we were worried about. A fire safety hazard and the induction range has worked beautifully for her. Um, she was an avid cook and baker before, and she's been able to continue some of that between the induction range and the Instapot. She is really, really, really doing well with that. So I think of it, think of it in terms of your first instinct might want to be, I want to do everything for them, make them as comfortable as possible, which that's a, that's a great instinct to have, but to just take a little bit of a step back there um, and also talk to them. Um, I think we skip that step so often. Can we, just, can we just ask them, you know, um, what's your preference here? And and I, I really want to empower people to have difficult conversations because sometimes skipping those is way worse than the, the conversation itself. But but I, I would go back to like sort of this concept of, again, task preservation. How does the design and how does the, the layout of the space and, and the features of the space really promote somebody keeping those cognitive and motor tasks and, you know, as they're aging, which is maybe what some of the only activities are doing. That Absolutely. Day. And I think that is so, so important and something that I, I have not, this issue hasn't come up in my life. So I haven't really thought about that. We, I think just out of good intentions and you love your parent or your grandparent and you're like, I'll just do it all for them. And it comes from a very giving place. But I think like if there's any, the take home is like really stop and ask yourself, is that First of all, is it what they want? Like you said, ask them. And is it going to preserve their ability to do these different tasks? I love the fact that this is your area of interest because going through and getting my interior design degree, and I know other interior designers, we learn 
about codes. We learn about ADA. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that, it's the American with Disabilities Act. But having your perspective, since you see these families and you're treating these families and these patients, brings like a whole new awareness to the real issues. The other thing we've got to be careful about when thinking of, of designing for our, our loved ones who are aging is their caregivers. We always forget that if somebody is transferring them, which means kind of lifting them up off of a wheelchair and say transferring them onto a shower chair, that person's comfort matters too. You don't want the person who's doing that physical labor to get injured, right? It's actually very difficult to come by high quality in-home care that's consistent and um, and reliable. And so the last thing you want to do is have the person who's showing up to help with the, the bathing or the dressing or, or whatever's happening also not be accommodated. And so when you look at bathroom design, you know, the grab bars are one thing, but if you notice, like if you go in a restaurant and you go into the, you know, the ADA bathroom, oftentimes there isn't actually enough room to, to pull up a wheelchair and transfer somebody over. Um, they have just enough room, say, if somebody were to transfer themselves. But when you're looking at, at, at wheelchair users who are aging, that's a different wheelchair user than, say, a 19-year-old with a spinal cord injury. So if you're at the movies and you see someone in a wheelchair who's young, they're usually self-propelling the wheelchair. That means their arms are pushing the wheels and they're going up and down, going up and down ramps. When you're looking at somebody, say, in their 80s or 90s, they're not pushing the wheelchairs. What you see are the handles coming off the back of the wheelchair because there's another person that's pushing it for them. And so um, we can get really caught up again with just really focusing on the dimensions. But the idea is, you know, if that caregiver is going to be you or somebody you hire or somebody in your family, also thinking with them in mind because they're part of what we call the dyad. So the the person who has the needs and the person who's helping them, and they actually work like a, their own ecosystem. Um, so that's one thought I have. And then a, a completely different note. Um, there's a lot of, I, I've, I've gotten a lot of resistance to talking about this very early when I started doing this. I had important people tell me that people don't want to talk about aging. People don't want to talk about disabilities. It's it's not a good topic. And I just don't believe that. I believe that people that want to show up for their parents want to do it well, um, and they'll be willing to learn about it and to think about it, even if it's hard. Um, one of the things I tell them when they can't quite get there mentally, like they're like, I'm not aging. My mom's not aging. None of us are aging. I'm like, okay, good. All right. I'm glad you figured out not aging. But um, if you're going to talk about renovating a space, you don't even have to think about it. If it's too scary to think about renovating it for your parent, renovate it for an Airbnb, renovate it for a college kid coming home, renovate it with universal design. Don't think about it again. If you're going to do it anyway, there's, again, I go back to this pluripotent spaces, you know, renovating it for an, an aging adult does not make it an uninhabitable space. It actually makes it a more user-friendly space for everybody. So renovating the space, you know, you could renovate it with universal design principles and it would be easier to use for you, for your family, for your adult kid coming back from college. You know, I have a family member that's had multiple ACL surgeries that's very young and that impacts their ability to shower and dress and do those things. So, um, you know, even really, you know, uh, you know, athletes that are really in shape and and have musculoskeletal issues, they would like to sometimes have a place to sit down in the shower if their knees bothering them or, you know, their hip or something like that. So this is, you know, I want to make sure I'm not, you know, focusing too much on just the aging adults. I mean, universal design and, and some of these principles really are better for humans in general. And, and I strongly believe that in say 10 to 20 years, the resale value of your home could be indexed to how universally it's designed. 
um, because of the way that the demographics are. So we focused a lot on, say, like, you know, green building and um, energy efficiency for homes. And I do think eventually there's going to be some sort of metric of just how easy is it um, for people to visit your home and use your home and, and how relevant does that home stay over the course of someone's lifetime. Right. Absolutely. So, so Krisha, I wanted to tell you how I actually met you because you hadn't met me yet. I was driving down a 35 South between Austin and San Antonio. And I don't know how, but one of your podcasts popped up and I turned it on. And I was so incredibly excited that a doctor was doing this and that you existed in the world. I actually pulled off the highway and found a place to park because I didn't want to be distracted. And I was just so over the moon that physicians were showing up differently throughout the world and taking their knowledge, their passion, their caring, and applying it in different ways. And so I just really appreciate not only you, but just the opportunity to come talk to you on this podcast, but also that you're you're trailblazing and inspiring even when you don't know it. Oh, well, I, I appreciate that so much. I had no idea. I remember you had reached out and I get so excited. It's interesting because when I first transitioned from medicine to design, I was really worried that everybody was going to think I was insane <laughs> and crazy. But since I've been in this in this field, I've actually had several women physicians who have a big interest in interior design that have reached out to me. But I think what made you stand out is that you you have this expertise in PM&R, which is so, uh, I mean, I, it just translates so well to multi-generational design. You mentioned something earlier that really stood out to me. We talked a little bit about the term multi-generational design and about how you think of it more as showing up for the people that you love. You also made the comment that it's almost like a merging of lives, multi-generational design. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So yeah, no, I I think of it much more, I I think of it in terms of seasons, right? So everybody's in a different season and there'll be a point at which, you know, my parents are a different season I am, and we're going to go through those together. Um, Instead of aging in place, I, I, I think of it much more of um, adapting your life and your environment to where you're at at that time. Um, and I love my parents and I want to show up for them when that time comes that they they need this. And, and really this thought exercise is not, oh my God, my parents are getting old and I'm getting old. It's, oh my God, I just, I always want to show up for people I love um, in a way that's authentic to me and creating space literally for them is part of that. And and I think most people would have that intention and they just don't know how or where to start. Um, and that's what I'm here for. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much. I I think that last part was a great almost way to wrap up things, that mindset shift. Because like I said at the beginning, we don't want to think about it. We're thinking like, I'm getting old, my parents are getting old. And so we just push it away. But almost shifting it into like, this is an opportunity to continue to thrive. What can we do? What's best for my parents? How can we continue to thrive? So I think that mindset shift is really important. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Hey, it's me again. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Just a reminder, the link to the full interview is in the show notes and Krisha Palmer's work as well. I've got a couple of bloopers for you today, and I will see you next week. Thank you. Today, I have something a little bit different for you, just to give you some content here. Oh, my God. I am replaying an interview I did just about a year ago with a dear friend and mentor, 
Really, guys? Really? So that's David singing in the shower. Okay, I was the guest on the podcast just about a year ago. And so just for some background to that, I have been thinking about and writing about, oh my God. Can you guys be quiet for about five minutes? Hey everyone, it's Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'd like to take just a moment to review the disclaimer. This podcast is for informational and occasional entertainment purposes only. Nothing discussed here is formal medical, legal, or financial advice. By listening to the podcast, we are not creating a patient-doctor relationship between you and myself or any of the guests. Really, it's just me and a possible guest or two, sometimes three, sitting around talking about difficult topics related to aging parents. If you have or suspect that you might have a medical problem or condition, you should seek advice from a licensed medical professional. If you have any questions or concerns, please read the full disclaimer in the show notes or contact me directly. Thank you again for joining us today. I can't wait to see you next week. Have a good day.